We are on a mission, a mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst podcast, we dive into current events that are shaping how pharmacists approach their patients and their businesses. Fuel your passion for pharmacy one conversation at a time. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Key, president of Pioneer X, and today I'm here with Josh and Craig. Hi, I'm Josh Howland, vice president of clinical strategy. And I'm Craig McEwen, CEO of Red Cell. Today we're here with Rear Admiral retired Pamela Schweitzer, whose accomplishments include being the former assistant surgeon general and former chief pharmacist officer of the United States Public Health Service. Hey, you guys, how are you? We are doing great. And super excited to be here with you. So, uh, uh, all the talk around here has been just just how amazing you are and how, how humbling it is just to just to just to get this opportunity. And it's an honor for me to be here. And I actually, I'm actually glad that you reached out because we, uh, I have some things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. It was funny, Madison, who talked to you, I have to tell you this story. She was like, she's like, I just love her. She's so amazing. I just, she's just awesome. And I said, you say that about everybody. She said, erase everything I said about everybody before. <laughs> well, you, by the way, your team that you have is A++++. They were, they were so, everything was so organized. And what happened was, is we had it on uh, scheduled. We had a practice yesterday and I, I, I like I think I remember seeing some instructions. What sometimes I miss stuff. So I went back and I go, holy cow, I gotta put this thing together. But everything was perfect. I just followed direction one, two, three, four, and boom, I was ready in time. So I was like cr- scrambling, but it was so well done. They were so super organized. She was in my head. I was going, okay, what's the code? How do I get in here? She <laughs> sent an email ahead of time. So it was like she was reading my mind. So yeah. it was pretty, pretty amazing. They are amazing. It was by design. So <laughs> it's only only way you you don't get things done unless you have amazing people generally. So where are you all calling from? Where where is everybody? So um, Josh and I and have you met Josh Allen? Yeah, it's been a while. We were at some of the STC immunization summits together. So Josh is a pharmacist. He has a, a background in a little bit of all of the things. I worked retail for a while. I worked for the Evil Empire for a little bit on the clinical pharmacy side. And then um, I spent about four years in renal specialty at DeVita. Um, and then Jeff found me, and I've, the rest is accidental IT history. And he's working a lot with total cost of care. And um, Oh, you know, or, that's like a topic I love right there. Yeah, they had, both, just, they had both sides of it. They had the drugs, right. they had the prescription side and the um, responsible for yeah, the we health were, side. We were fully capitated on the um, ESRD patients. So we did both oh, total yeah. cost of care and decreased hospitalizations. But he had worked with some of their software and stuff, so he was a good fit for coming in here and helping us. Well, so we separately, we should actually visit because I'm trying to understand what it would look like. Um, And I do a lot of seed planting about how we do population health. And I think that needs to be a little bit capitated or incentivized value-based. But how can we do this? And and independent pharmacies would be in a perfect place in their communities to drive some of that change. But we need to figure out the reimbursement and plant the seeds everywhere. So Mm -hmm. if you have ideas, let's visit um, on this. Because I'm trying to figure this out right now. At least, you know, make sure we get the right players in the room when that discussion. This is what I do, by the way. I line everything up and then get out of the way. So... Anyway, something to keep in mind. Well, Josh and I are in Irving, Texas. Oh, okay, Irving. And uh, Craig is in. Are, are you're in? I'm in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh right yeah. now. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Pittsburgh. Okay, good. Sam, it's wonderful to meet you. Yeah, really good to meet you. Yeah. Just give her a little bit of background on you. We can take a minute on Craig. Much, much more boring background. So, uh, technology background. I've been in healthcare for 20, 20 plus years. Uh, first half of it in uh, cardiology and radiology. Uh, therapeutic devices mainly, and uh, and then the second half in pharmacy technology, uh, main more on the health system side. So ran uh, a business that we pulled out of McKesson, um, health system robotics okay. and, and uh, enterprise software, and uh, then we start started up a 
uh, specialty pharmacy technology business called Trellis uh, RX, which is uh, helping health systems develop uh, clinic-based specialty programs. And then we um, made the investment and we're fortunate enough to meet Jeff and the Pioneer team. And, and so now I'm responsible for the red, what we've branded as the red sale business. And so uh, that was the acquisition of QS1 and Pioneer. You're a great visionary to see this. I, I see Ooh. how your brain is working right now. And it's great because you're like pulling all the pieces together. It's awesome. My, anyway. my, bra- my brain is, hey, can we find some super smart people like Jeff to yeah. tell me what to do? <laughs> he, he, uh, he, he, he teases me, but, uh, oh, I don't. He, he makes, uh, he, he makes me look like a child, but that's okay. Cause we, we have to have goals, but, but they have brought together, uh, two pharmacy systems that one called Pioneer X and one called QS1. And today we have almost 9,600 independents in the, in the red cell, uh, family. So, and, and aggressively trying to figure out how to save and revitalize independent pharmacy and as a side effect, the healthcare and, and all those kind of things. Hey, that's what I'm trying to do. Same yeah. thing. We're on the same, we have the same mission. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. We same mission to try to help revitalize that. I, it, I think it's critical anyway. So, good. so, so let's do just a little bit. Of, if you could just give us a little short, kind of your history, getting into pharmacy and, and your travels up to, uh, being the head pharmacist in the United States? Well, okay. I'm, I start, I started out, I'm actually from Southern California, Orange County. And I, my dad, this is, I never would have got into pharmacy except for my dad was a pharmacist, but he told me, don't go into pharmacy. Okay. Okay. Don't go into pharmacy. He didn't own his own pharmacy. He worked at a community pharmacy, but don't go into it. He, I just remember him, okay, I won't go into it. So I went down my other little path, what I was doing. And what happened was then I had a cousin. And he, uh, well, a cousin, she was marrying a pharmacist, and he was a clinical pharmacist. And I didn't even tell my dad. I said, oh, I want to do that. That sounds like really fun because my dad was filling a lot of prescriptions. That's why he wasn't really happy. Right. And so, so what happened was I applied. I got into school. I only applied to one school because I knew I'd have to pay for it. So I, I, I got into my school and then went and I, it just changed everything. It was like I figured out what I wanted to do then. Mm. And then I did a residency, went on. And then I went to a, you know, the conventions that you go to. I had my life planned out. I got married. <laughs> Everything was all hunky-dory. And then I ran into a booth. It was at one of the national conventions. And an Indian Health Service was set up there. And a guy named Dick Church was working behind the booth. And I just, my husband and I had just gone to Alaska. And so we were like, oh, Alaska, the pictures is what brought me to the booth. So I visited with him and he goes, you should come into it. And at that point, we had no kids. I didn't really have any ties. Oh, let's go do this. It was more like a fun thing to go do. I, I did was not doing it for the right reason, which is to serve the Native American population. I wasn't doing it for that reason. So we went to South Dakota. I had never been in, in anything below zero. So it was a shock. We went in January. It was minus 20. We couldn't. No, we didn't know how to keep the house warm. Everything was frozen in the morning. So, but we figured it out together. And I, it changed my life because I finally under, I got involved in public health. I got involved working with the tribes, with the community, with just all their efforts. And it was more than being a pharmacist. I could have been anything. It, it was just under trying to, it changed my perspective on everything you know, working in that community. And um, we then started having kids and then I went into the VA for a little bit. Then I went back into the Indian Health Service and I slowly just kind of uh, took on different opportunities. I'll tell you what ended up happening with us is the way the core works, you always have to be learning and it's instilled into us. Plus it was already natural in me. Okay, I've got this down. This is working, move on to another project. So it's kind of like you be somewhere for a few years it's moving fine, whatever you're working on, and you move on to the next project. And so I did the residency program, and then I started getting involved in IT um, because pharmacy in the Indian Health Service could start billing. So I didn't know anything about it, dived in, learned, figured it out, became the national person, rolled it out throughout the whole IHS. Then once you roll out one thing, it's really easy to roll out the next thing. So then I did EHR. Then I did the mailing. Then, I, you know, it was just one thing, uh, one thing after another. And then from that got me to CMS because um, 
a lot of the regulations were like impacting us. And so we're starting to communicate a lot with them to try to drive, make some change or improve it. And so CMS was really open and I, we got how to put the pack, I call it the package together to present to them in a, in a way that they, they can make positive change. So I started doing that and then, and then the Affordable Care Act hit. <laughs> and then um, they actually hired me at CMS for my IT project manager skills. <laughs> <laughs> not a pharmacist. So I got there and, and that's what I did for a little bit. So I learned about all the Medicaid programs. It was actually what uh, eligibility, that's the area that I was in eligibility, provider enrollment. I was in that too. Um, you know, a lot of the pieces that have to do with the claims and central office regulations. Then I got over to the pharmacy side and learned about that. So somewhere along the line, you meet, I met folks and people encouraged me that Dick Church that I talked about at the time, he encouraged me. And actually, they all, the previous CPOs, chief pharmacy officers, encouraged me to put my name in to the hat for being chief pharmacist officer. And um, so then I went through that process and, and was selected. I actually had a little bit of time before it was announced. So I had time to get organized and plan out, okay, what this is going to be. Everybody said just own it you can decide your direction where you want to go. So I had plenty of time and met with a lot of people without them knowing that I was going to be that in that position to kind of plan out and have a strategy. So when I, it was announced, I hit the ground running. So it was, it was a great experience and I've kind of since retiring now, what I've done is a lot of these projects I couldn't do because I was, my bandwidth wasn't big enough to do what I really wanted to do because I had to do these other things. So I, I, I ended up, um, I ended up, I'm working on all of that now and it's super fun. This is like the highlight of my career right now in this period of time. I love everything. I, I do what I want to do. I don't do, you know, okay, I've, this issue came up. I gotta go address it. I don't have, okay, well, that's not my thing. I'm going to stay over and do these things that are fun. So imagine the f best part of your job. I get to do that every day and it's not even a job for me. What, what this is work, my passion. What, what are you working on that you're most excited about right now? Two or three things. I'll not in any particular order, but like today, what I'm working on. Well, I, I'm working on all of them every day. But right now, what I'm working on is helping to think through a strategy for these next steps for the profession. So it's kind of strategic planning. This is my favorite thing to do. Just kind of, I read everything. I go to everything. I have bandwidth to attend everything, listen, kind of take it in. How do I apply it to pharmacy? So it's strategic planning. That seems kind of boring though. Uh, the other thing is. Um, there's something called other licensed practitioner, and this is where the pharmacist can practice clinically and, and get reimbursed for the service, not the product. And so that's my that's the space that I love and I track it every day and get getting the billing instructions down, understanding the, you know, working with them. Uh, I I plant seeds all the time. I have relationships at the different states that I plant seeds somewhere where someone's in, influential to help drive something. I share information. So the good news is I know what's going on on the other side, on the CMS side, and I can help kind of get through that. So Missouri and uh, Vermont, and there's a few states that have done real good recently that that are just the model that we want everybody to copy. And then there's other states that were earlier on. So this started, this whole idea started, this is how you get pharmacists get paid. They need to be doing this. So this is the same thing. They're going through the same process they need to go through with Medicare, you know, going through all of this, all of these, the pieces of it are the, exactly the same. And so I'm just trying to get everybody to do it on the Medicaid side if they can. Mm -hmm. So that's my fun thing. And then the other one is, vaccine confidence. I'm working with a, pr a producer and to help, I'm not in it, but I'm helping to like connect everybody and to roll out and to drive vaccine confidence. We have this documentary coming out here this summer. It's not tied to any government funding. We on purpose stayed away from government funding or any funding that would be controversial. Our target is the group that is vaccine hesitant, that is distrustful of just certain authorities or whatever. So that's kind of a project I'm working on and it's come together, the filming's done and we meet on that like every week, but every day I'm doing something with that. I'm, I'm working on the rollout and that we're changing the culture. We're gonna like get this all in the undergraduate colleges and PTAs and 
So it's like fun. It's ground level stuff. I love ground level. That's what I love. That's fantastic. And so the, the documentary is called what? Vaccination. And can we watch it like Netflix, YouTube, places like that? Or is it kind of a rolling out to, to specific places as you guys it's, do it? They're editing it right now. So when it's available, it when it's available, they're going to actually have it stored on PBS. And it's going to have, I'm really fortunate, a lot of the pharmacy organizations help sponsor it. They're going to have access to all these lift outs. So they're going to be short lift outs, like a few minutes, a uh, few seconds, not a few seconds, but 30 seconds, short, short, few minutes. And then the big production is going to, there's going to be one on uh, PBS. So that'll be on PBS stations and it'll be able to be available free for everyone. So oh, nice. as soon as it's avail, as soon as it's out and there's some trailers and things that they're working on, we're going to have screenings and it's really great because the whole pharmacy like profession is really behind it. All the organizations sort of got behind this and they're in it too. We have an awesome community pharmacist that's in it. It's, it's really, really good. We, we've been very, very careful. They've been working on this for several years and then COVID hit. So it's very well thought out and it's really fun to watch it progress. So yeah, right now my, um, my vaccine hesitancy is just harassing people until they get vaccinated. So we'll work on <laughs> Well, I'm using some of the techniques. I'm very gentle, like, you know, with them and kind and just give them information, do it slowly over time and listen to them. And, uh, you know, it takes a little bit of time. It's neat if you can push them into doing it. But most of the people push back, I find, if you push too hard. Yeah. I I think my my approach hasn't been gentle enough. I'll uh, I'll, I'll take a playbook out of that. (laughs) I think, you know, Marsha did that with her grandmother. You know, she was like, hey, well, so-and-so got vaccinated. And, oh, look, Dolly's talking about being vaccinated, trying to find, trying to connect people around her to to say it was okay. So what do you think about the whole, um, so medical billing and pharmacy? That's one of those things that that Josh and I have, have struggled for a little bit. You know, we were talking to people probably... I don't three know, years, three ago. years ago, four years ago, who are wanting to roll out a medical billing solution throughout our software. And there's always been kind of a chicken and an egg kind of thing, right? Uh, there didn't seem like enough uh, need to roll out a solution because you had some some base cost. Um, what's it going to look like the next couple of years? I think pharmacy needs to be ready for doing medical billing. And I actually... <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'm really, really happy. I push as much as they can. If I'm talking to a payer, do medical billing. I'll d- I'll just tell you that's what our conversation is. The whole profession's pushing that way. We'll never. Uh, it, you know, we need. But I, what we found is through COVID, they set it up that way. But the pharmacy still prefers the easy button going through the going through the claim through the PBM. So I think there needs to they need to be ready for both. Because some of the payers, it's a lot of work. We're putting it on the payers to change. And if we want to be providers, providers, we're going to have to be like the other providers. Why do we be different? And it almost is like a second business in the pharmacy anyway. I rolled out a bunch of clinical programs early in my career. And you have the clinical folks doing their clinical work, working with the patients. That billing is going to be different than the billing for the claims for the product. So... I, I think they need to figure out a way to either plug in to somebody already has it or develop people on their own. You know, there's a lot of opportunity for growth, what, depending on what you want to do. You can take and analyze what's out there, build your own, or use what already is available. Um, it takes a long time to build it from scratch, though, because that relationship with the payers, it's a whole different set of payers that, that people have never dealt with. So... That's what I, I actually work on that every day too, by the way, just any listening for problems, solutions. I have a email that I got to send to the pharmacy profession because I was trying to get some input from CMS on a particular uh, challenge that just came up or issue that came up and we're trying to get it kind of set a little bit better. So I'll, I'll, after this, we're done here, I'll send that out to the pharmacy groups. So it's CMS's response to how to deal with out of network providers and uh, some of the issues that pharmacies are facing. So it needs to be into workflow. So do you see kind of a, a meeting in the middle, right? Right now there's a couple of things that are great about pharmacy 
claims, right? They're real-time adjudicated. It's very clear. When you look at the medical claims, they're very nebulous. It's, I did X and it may have involved drugs or not. You know, like I came from a specialty world where now they're using J codes and you get kind of a infused drug, but what it was it, how much did it cost? We don't know. Well, and claim billing is pharmacy and medical right. billing is, is provide is the pharmacist. Correct. It's yeah. It's the pharmacy pharmacist, pharmacy. It, it, it seems like there's things that both medical billing and pharmacy billing can meet in the middle on. Um, do you see any kind of movement to, to, or appetite to do that? So you have to talk to the health plans. Uh, they're the ones that are going to make the decision. So they're the ones that contract out to the pharmacy benefit, you mm -hmm. know, right. so they're paying them to manage the, that benefit then. So the health plan is the one that's going to have to be talked into it. And whether they want to be, have pharmacy be different than everybody is another thing. I think the pharmacy profession prefers to be like regular providers and not always do a one-off. I think they have to be treated the same. There's more work on the health plan side if they were to do that. Then all that data and all that information, they're not going to have, and that's going to be a project for them. It's going to be work for somebody. Right. No, I, I think if, if pharmacy doesn't meet the medical, it's not going to work, right? Mm, that's true. I, I actually feel pretty strongly about that. I For a little while, I I didn't, I didn't early on, I didn't know, like pharmacy billing is really easy. <laughs> Once I, then I go to medical, compared to medical billing. Medical billing was this, holy cow, I didn't realize it was so complex. However, here's what I think. I think as pharmacy gets in this space, we can provide nicely, not just tell everybody how to change everything, but we could slowly start improving even medical billing because we're really good documenters. Do you know what I mean? We can mm. be very good at this. We can actually probably drive some positive change on the medical side. That's what I think. Your, your comment that the pharmacists early on during COVID or through, through COVID um, have been a bit hesitant or resistant on using the medical billing sides, interesting to me because you, you would think they'd be proactively trying to do that because they don't have to deal with the DIR fees on, on, on that side of the equation. It, it's, it's just striking to me that, that that's the observation that you have. It's happening. And I've visited yeah. the payers. Are you, how many are you getting through? Well, they like to go on the PBM side. Okay. Thanks for uh -huh. the info, information. I just think because it's a new project to implement and they don't have the bandwidth to do it, that, you know, it's a project to implement anything new. Yep. And so I really think it's that and they don't understand it yet. They don't have the staff in place to like figure it out and to do whatever needs to do. And there's not enough time to train everybody. But uh, I see and I know Medicaid space pretty well. Like I see over in Iowa, they're mandating it starting this summer, I guess. So they have to figure it out. So they're going to have to figure it out. And everybody says, well, we don't want to learn it during a pandemic. Well, guess what? This is a great time to learn it because if you don't start now, we're never going to do it. So anyway, it, it, it's, it's moving along. I think people are, are getting better at it. Um, it just takes time. It's a whole nother project, just like starting regular billing, regular point of sale billing. So, so did I, did I hear you saying Iowa Medicaid is going to require that they use medical billing for vaccines starting this summer? Is that for everything. For everything. Well, for the cl for clinical services. Mm -hmm. For clinical services. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So drugs will go through the normal process, but anything beyond that will be a medical bill. Right. So they're going to, and vaccines are kind of a big one. So they're all going to have to be that. So they were already moving along in that direction already. So I, I, I think when I have talked to some of the Medicaid programs on the pharmacy side, they, they, it's easier for them, for some of them. Every, everyone's a little, every state is a little bit different. That's what the challenge is. But I think it's, they prefer everything. If it's the physicians are doing it this way, let's have everybody do it this way. Right. Do you see a lot of other states doing that? Uh, I see a lot of states. I have a cheat sheet, like a big cheat sheet that I kind of track. And I see a lot of the states already have medical billing for some of the farm for the for the things that we consider uh, counseling or non-product related. Yes, uh, there's a lot of states that have that already built in. It depends on who's influencing them to make the you know go in there and make the changes. What I noticed 
because as we are getting ready for COVID, so back in January, February, March, when we knew, okay, we're going to have a vaccine next year. I knew it was a year out. Started going through and seeing how everybody had the billing set up. I noticed that, okay, here's instructions for the physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs. They had it and they could bill anything. Pharmacy, you can only bill flu through your point of sale, everything else you know, you're going to have to do this other way. So what we're finding as we started researching this is I realized if the product and the service weren't built into the claim, the pharmacy a lot of times was just not billing the administration fee if they wasn't already built in. They were just giving the vaccine out of the niceness of their heart. And uh, so, so that's, I was shocked at that, that a lot of them didn't already have that set up, but now they do. So we need to keep this momentum momentum going. So what did you guys do for fun over the COVID? Have you done it, gone out and traveled or done anything fun? Yeah, well, I, I, um, I've got two teenage boys. And so we, we have some um, property out in the woods just north of where we live. So we were out doing a ton of hiking and biking. And uh, it was Good. a great, 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 great excuse to spend an inordinate amount of time with my kids. <laughs> Excellent. So it, was, it was fabulous. Yeah, we went, um, which of course, Texas was reasonably open uh, with protocols a lot of the times. Uh, my family and I went to Colorado, did a vacation that was socially distanced mm. by nature, right? Where we could uh, do some hikes and uh, I think we did some uh, some rafting and stuff where it was all the same family on the raft and uh, some biking and things like that. Um, I think you're a hiker. Is that right? Yes, I am. Did you hike any additional mountains during COVID? I'm, lo- I'm looking at your background on all of the mountains that you've hiked. No, I didn't. We, I didn't do any additional project because you'd have to, most of the time you have to fly somewhere to do that. Uh, and so I was trying to stay away from that, but we did do a lot of hiking. We go back and forth. I'm in Arizona right now. Oh, nice. Uh, but we, we always have something we're training for. So we had a, I go to the, we go to the Grand Canyon. It's not that far away. It's maybe four hours away. So we can drive up there. And I've been there six times at least during this COVID. So quite a few times hiking down in there. We were just there a few weeks ago, hiking down to, I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but hiking down enough. We're working on, my daughter and I are working on a book. We started this during COVID for children. So if you when you have little children or, or grandchildren, you can get this book. It's about hiking in the Grand Canyon. So That's we true. we were working on it, and I was doing focus groups on the people hiking there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They Ooh. didn't know it. So what was your what was your favorite hike or climb? They all are a little bit different because of the people that were around and what happened on the hike. So. I'll just give you an example. We went and did Machu Picchu. We hiked the Inca Trail and we had some people, uh, this is a few years ago, and we had some people on it and we were laughing the whole time. So it was just fun learning a new culture, just kind of really imagine as you're hiking up on these cliffs and you, these narrow trails that go steep way down, knowing that there was llamas there and it's been there for thousands, you know, hundreds of years that people have hiked that route. It was just, uh, it was pretty spectacular being up there, you know, doing that. So that was really fun. And part of it was because of the people that we were with the group and all the laughing and the stories and the funny things that happened. Uh, We also had a similar one, Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim with a group of people. And that one was fun too, but because we got hit with a big snowstorm, rainstorm and just, like having to react and everybody was safe in the end, but just like all the things that happen around that. And just afterwards we can sit around and tell a lot of stories. So almost all of these, every trip that we do, there's a lot of stories. So we pulled together a group. We, I love organizing. My husband mm-hmm. loves organizing. And so we had one, this, we didn't tell anybody. We kept it quiet. I can tell it now, I guess, because it was right in the middle of COVID and they said, don't get together for Thanksgiving. So we pulled people from all over. They flew in from, we had friends from Alaska, from DC area come in and we were on this great trip down in the Grand Canyon at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, hanging out there. So anyway, I've, we've had trips the whole time. So we have to train for all these. So the training doesn't stop, you know, having to go do a lot of uphills. So that was one of the questions. Like when you do Kilimanjaro, what's the 
What's the preparation you have to do? Well, Kilimanjaro is easier, actually. It's not quite as bad. So what you do is we have here, you have to, you need a high mountain. Pennsylvania, I don't think, has enough high mountains over there. <laughs> no, no, they don't. <laughs> you need a training mountain. We have here in Arizona, there's Humphrey Peak. It's 12.6, 12,600 okay. feet. So if you do that a few times and get your body, you time it, you go backwards from the trip and you go backwards and you pr plan some of these your body has to adapt to the altitude and you have to learn how to feed your body, like feed it. So you don't boink. Do you know, do you know what that is? Like, no, it's no. like when you you're going all of a sudden you just run out of energy. You can't go any further. So you don't, if you haven't hit that edge, there's an edge. You have to know what that is, feels like coming and how to overcome that wow. because that's what's going to happen on it. And so you have to learn what foods can I eat and make yourself eat. Cause you don't feel hungry when you get up to high altitude. So, Kilimanjaro was easier because the goal of that is to not is to acclimatize. And so the slower you go, the better. So I actually trained for it, but not that hard because I had to go slow. So okay. it's when it's when you have to move it a little quicker. Like when I did Rainier back when you have to move, be moving fast. So that one there, I was in much better shape because we had to be moving pretty a lot quicker than I did in Kilimanjaro, it was just steady, you know, step after step. And you have to, if you don't acclimatize, you get, people get sick and they get headaches and nauseous. And so if you go too slow enough, you don't get that. Wow. So that's to me, is feed, feeding, drinking plenty of water, knowing how your body's going to react and getting ready for that and knowing how to overcome that. That's the training really. So that's why you got to push yourself a little bit to see where that is. I feel like there's a disclaimer here somewhere where like Pam said it was easy. It's probably not. <laughs> I didn't Do not try it. this at home unless you're Pam. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Practice. <laughs> so let's let's cruise back to pharmacy um, a little bit. What um what do you think the next big trends are in pharmacy? You 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 kind of you talk to a lot of people. You have a lot of you kind of have a little crystal ball there. What would you what what kind of things are coming in the next couple of years? And as a pharmacy, what should I be doing? At a pharmacy. So, so what has happened with COVID that I think has been really good is, is it's brought the independence a little bit. They had to be organized different. You can't be all together and doing your own thing. You've got to come together because the voice together is a lot louder. And I think they learned a lot from this and I keep on telling them and I keep on pushing them be like, make sure you're at the table. There's a lot of momentum going on right now, and I've been sitting at it, like going to all these things in rural health and waiting for the right time. I actually watch and am waiting for the right time to like jump in with pharmacy and public health. I, I actually think that pharmacy is placing themselves in a really good position for public health and providing public health services within their community. It's To me, it's a no-brainer. COVID has shown that it works. We just got to get everybody up to that level, providing those services and fix all the reimbursement so it works right. Pam, Pam so, what, can, what can we do to help to beat up? You know, we represent 9,500 pharmacies now in the independent oh, 9, okay. space. And, and that's one of the things we, we really uh, pride ourselves on is, is trying to do as much as we can to help, help the practice of pharmacy. And I, I do feel this is a watershed moment for the independents. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it, any advice you have would be great. We're yeah, so, so I'm glad you asked that. So I'm trying to think uh, think that right now. They they asked me. I'm putting together. I'm trying to put together some of my thoughts on this. I'll just say what I'm right now. What I'm thinking right now. I haven't put it in writing yet. But uh, so there's a couple areas that I see a lot of emphasis in, and interoperability. They actually went through the previous administration fixed something about that blocking stuff, and there's going to be. But there needs to be better communication between pharmacies and the providers. And that's been actually driving me crazy for this last, I don't know, however many years that we we're not communicating and there's still faxing going on. And I want those portals that you have, you know, uh, the portals to communicate or direct secure messaging to be able to use those and have those in there. I go talk to people and they say, well, we don't have it. Okay. All right, well, we don't want to, you know, our vendor doesn't have it. So anyway, I'm just, some of these tools are so critical to have in place to be able to communicate. I yeah. think people are crazy not to have them in place or not to use them and and start getting 
the workflow down about how to use them correctly. So there's two parts, the IT part, and then also getting teaching people how to use it and get that workflow to maximize so they're using it the best. Because that's how I got into the IT business, I'll be honest with you, is there that there's always those two components because they need to learn from each other. Oh, you do it this way. That's a better way. I'm going to try it that way. The, the users always have, have challenging figuring out how to get the workflow down. So, and then the other big thing, this is huge. And I'm trying to think about how pharmacy can get involved is, is patients need to be more engaged with their care and having either mobile apps or having access to their information more and using those some of those tools so that patients have it's really going to be about patients owning their data now this has been going on for a little bit and they've been planting seeds with us and now there's a big push almost everything i go to now they're trying to push how does a patient get more engaged in their care and have access to their data and not make it so hard that's great that the pharmacist can talk to the hospital or pharmacist talk here but also the patients need to be able to get this data too and have this information and understand it. And people, they, if they want to use it, they can. But at least I'm always asking, you know, like my husband, what's your lab work? So what did it come back? Well, I don't know. My doctor said everything was okay. But now he can get his lab work and look at it and look mm -hmm. and look and see it. So that's a, like an example. It's something very easy. So anyway, we need to figure that out. So how pharmacy fits in there, it's more that pharmacy needs to be in the table as these things are worked out. So I, I actually think they're always wanting to know, you know, where the industry is. I actually think uh, what I've been doing right up to now is trying to get at least people with the tech, what, what happens is, is in the government side, they don't know where the technology always is unless somebody's telling them. So part of it, I think, is getting organized, but it, it'd be even better if the profession or the, I, all the IT folks could have just let them know, here's where we are, here's what we can do, just so they're aware and keep track of it, especially if it follows along with value base, anything with value base, you know, just anything that's going on. We did a lot of that early on, I'll be honest with you, when COVID hit, when they were wondering how are we going to pay pharmacists. So we pushed really hard. Pharmacists can do that. Pharmacists can do that. Pharmacies can do that. Now, looking back, I thought we thought pharmacies could do that. <laughs> they couldn't all do it, but they did. They figured it out. So anyway, the technology needs to, the technology is there. How do we get people to use it? That's probably a big thing. But then also making sure it's fitting along that direction of making sure communicating interoperability is going to be critical. I think it would be great if a patient and we need to do the incentives need to be right. Gets discharged from the hospital. They go to their home community pharmacist, pharmacy. And then what they do is they, they can get that discharge summary there, you know, and have access to that to help the patient just sort through and answer what happened during the hospitalization. Because we already know, those of us that have been in this while, patients have a question. Everything happens so quick. They, you, you can have that, you can go over with them again at a little bit different pace so they can process it. Maybe the family member could be there too and you can talk about this and it, the care could be a lot better. And you wanna get that patient home and, and to their home community and, and not have to keep on going back and forth and back and forth. And then of course, telehealth is, is here to stay. I think there's gonna be a combination of telehealth and um, you know, face-to-face. -face. I don't think face-to-face -face is going to go away. Uh, you need to have that for the relationships. But once you know somebody, telehealth might work in between. Mm -hmm. It's like a veterinarian. Those of you, you know, if you have large animal vet, we know our vet. They come, sometimes they come over, sometimes they just handle it over the phone. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same thing. A couple of comments on those. Uh, one of those, you know, we coded direct messaging two years ago, maybe two three. or three. Yeah. And ran into a lot of obstacles in the, the hospitals that they had it, but they had all kind of whitelists and all kind of barriers. You know, you'd send to the doctor's direct messaging and it would get blocked because they only allow a whitelist. You had to be on a whitelist, et cetera. Uh, so much so that a bunch of people tried it and just kind of gave up. Um, so that information would be good to pack it. That's a, what I call a package. And how do we try this again? So they fixed some of this information blocking recently, and but it's just got fixed. Okay. So we this is information that 
to pass just to these are seed plants by the way we tried to do this before how do we and just let here's who i'd let know i'd pass it to cms and onc those two okay and let them know we're trying and to, if you right. yeah and if you have contact let me know if you need contacts to who to send it to because this is just need to be it's constant you need to do constant push that's the answer by the way and that's what i was trying to get not just one and done just hey any feedback on what we sent you last month you know just constant constant we want to try this again we have some people to try this again how can you help us and give them they like really clear examples when uh, clear examples like here's a situation that we're trying to work on because if you just say it doesn't work we tried it it doesn't work they're going to go okay they want to know well exactly what's not working they want to see and understand why it didn't work does that make sense yeah Mm -hmm. no yeah i think that's a good that's a, a a good comment we had information blocking, which, which by the way, is, is really cool. It, it recently went through and it, it was past previous administration and it kind of got stuck and now it's unstuck again. What does right. that mean? That means they're not allowed to. Yeah, basically it, it means that if, you know, if a patient says, I want to get a copy of this information, you have to be able to provide it. And part of that unsticking meant that historically health systems were very proprietary. So like, you know, mm-hmm. we, we always like to pick on Epic because they're massive, but they had no incentive to share information quickly and electronically with someone else. And so they could, but they didn't. Yeah. And information blocking frees that up. Yeah. And I wonder if at our size right now, Craig, we have some ability to go to the epics and the Cerners and the, um, and, and, and kind of address some of that. And while we're working with, with CMS and trying to address more. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Because that was, that we, we really want to be able to, when a patient doesn't pick up a prescription, I want, we want the system to send a direct message to the doctor and say, the patient abandoned this drug. Because we, what we don't want to happen is that patient showing up 12 months later and the doctor saying, are you taking your blood pressure medicine? Yes, I am. And if you talk to my dentist, I'm flossing as well. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so you know what? I'm going to throw something out there. Um, so, I was in the uh, Indian Health Service. You know, we had a closed system for a while. And when what I was doing is I always I got involved with the NCPDP standards, too. But I remember when we started doing I was helping with the e-prescribing. So we were sending prescriptions outside our system to a pharmacy, local pharmacy, you know, that made it easier for the patient to get it. We were working on that project. Well, the problem was in our closed system, we could always see when they picked it up because yep. we had it mm-hmm. triggered, but there they never did. So I remember reaching out and there was a standard called Phil RX. And I go, well, let's use that. We'll test it because we wanted to be the first one to test it. Well, they didn't have it built. I don't know if it's built now, but that was a it message is, that yeah, could come back. Do, do you guys use that? We in, in some capacity, now. yeah. It's the RX fill off of the new SureScript standard, so, but it just really came yeah, yeah. out. And and so and again, part of the EHRs are driving some of that. There, they were all supposed to be adopted and rolled out what January of this year, I believe, and they pushed it back to December because of COVID. And so, if an EHR is on the new script standard and the pharmacy's on it, then we can send a fill message back and say this was filled, this wasn't filled, this was refilled. Filled meaning picked up. Correct. Oh, nice. So, so really then letting a patient know, hey, your doctor's going to know you didn't get it is accurate. Maybe. Is, is getting more accurate. Yeah. Yeah, depending on what the... So I tend to be more on the side wanting to know, not ratting on them, but finding out first why they didn't pick it up. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if there could be financial or other reasons, or they didn't really want it to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? So I don't... You know, I'm a little bit empathetic to the patient. We got to talk to them first before we figure out why they didn't get it. Right. And that's true. And one of those two needs to do it, either the pharmacist or the doctor. If the data gets back to the doctor, the doctor can can know. But they certainly want to consider it in future treatments. But, but but in a lot of scenarios, we're capturing that in workflow too, Jeff. Obviously, with the the work you guys have done on e-care plans. You know, if, if we could if we could be integrating our e-care plan with an EHR in the health system. That, right. that would mm-hmm. that would be a dramatic improvement of yeah, care. Yeah, and, and in our direct message metaphor, we sent a copy. A copy of that was attached. 
because meaningful use. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A copy of the patient's e-care plan, the current what drugs they're on is, hey, this person abandoned. Here's what happened. Here's their current e-care plan. Uh, meaningful use supposedly said a soft, an EHR had to be able to absorb that e-care plan, but there were all these their white lists and stuff. They would block it. It wouldn't go through. Uh, but I, I think we need to revisit that. Right. I, I agree. think we need to go. Yeah. I think, I think Paul actually turned off that contract and we need to get right. that contract back on well, and that, try it again. You know, the e-care plan's more robust. Now the direct messaging's more robust. The EHRs are moving from CCDA to fire. So everybody's kind of on the same standard now. I think it may be, it's probably worth revisiting. I think that's great. I think that's really great. The other thing I think you should do too, while you're having these conversations with like, everybody is making sure. So remember when meaningful use, it made me triggered me. Meaningful use came out. They actually provide, gave the providers funding and everything. And they gave them incentives to help push this and drive this. So change was driven because of that. They left out all these other entities. So I, I would continue push just to get people over the hump of implementation to help at least get some kind of incentive to help, help push people in that direction. Otherwise there's no reason to move forward. I've heard the vendors need the incentive and the f- providers, meaning the pharmacists, need the incentive to make this a priority. Yep. I agree. Uh, the other thing I had was you had touched on was patients managing their health record. And and I've seen that and, and we can give, uh, you know, there's a big EHR vendor out there who's who's done a pretty a good job with their portal. And that may have been what you're talking about with your husband, uh, because my wife has a friend of hers who she actually got her records, you know, her labs before the doctor called her and told him mm-hmm. about him. And she's going to another doctor. She's going to a cardiologist now and going to have her labs on her phone. I'm going to say, hey, you know, what about these? Even though that cardiologist right. didn't order it. The, an interesting thing about that, though, Google and Microsoft both tried to support a, uh, uh, a patient's health record uh, here I don't know, probably four or five years ago or more. Matter of fact, I got on yeah, there and I said, who gets my I data thought- and who not? Both of them got out of that. Because they determined that people didn't want to manage their health record, right? Nobody was doing anything with it. They weren't going in and setting permissions about who could see it and who couldn't. And and maybe maybe you might be able to give some insight of this. Maybe providers weren't wanting to put their data into it either. I think that was both. And what I actually think it takes a little bit to, to drive this. This is why I like ground level. I love the ground level. If I were to go talk to all my neighbors, like you go, everybody has their banking information, Look how long it took to get it really easy to get the mobile app to use for your bank. You know, did you were you an early adopter? You probably all were early adopters. So this is why I use my husband. He's not an early adopter. He likes to go to the bank. So me, I like to like figure it out. I've try I go try everything, and if it's glitchy, if it's glitchy, I stop using it. Right. So some of that I went on. It was glitchy, just so you know. And so what happens? I think somebody. It needs to, it doesn't need to be the pharmacist, but needs to help get comfortable with it and start working with the patients and just slowly getting them to using it. They'll share, show people, other people how to use it. Cause even getting into it sometimes of like all the permissions and you got to do this code and this code and this code, it makes it challenging. And so if I get that too much with any app, I just say, forget it. And I don't use it. So I, I actually think they that we need to take a crack at it again because someone like my husband who's zero it he loves it he's so happy he's happy now because he has all of that information now because it's really easy to use so when i kind of think about the the patients wanting access to their health records i think that's true and I think you're right on the, they don't want the hassle. You it's know, just like, too hard to understand. It was, yeah, it was weird. It, it was, was hard to understand. It's too complex. You know, yep. if you look at like why something like Samsung smart things works out really well, because it's just insanely easy. You set it up one time. The only time you hear from it is when something's wrong. And now you walk in your house and your lights turn on and all the fun things happen. I'm not sure that's insanely easy, but. Well, I mean, compared for. Compared to some smart other things stuff. versus like the old school, like if yeah. this, then that's that were basically you needed to be a programmer. And to that's use. why Sonos took off. Right. You know, the old type of, you know, multi-room audio was just too hard to use. So maybe it is time to, to revisit some of those. I know. I think it was too early and then too early and you just, and you have to, uh, there, there has to be in set. I, I, to me, I always, this is what maybe it's being on the government and even where I was in Indian health and the VA, you always had to put incentives to drive that as a priority. Let's, our goal is to have everybody log on once, you know, 
and to get in there and to do something, you know, and then you get a little bonus point or something. So anyway, I'm just saying there needs to be something to help drive this a little bit. And I think people will find it. It's a lot easier if we can not be glitchy. Yep. Where a lot of technology has, as, and that certainly technology is getting easier to use mm-hmm. multiple mm-hmm. as the generations go on. So I think it's even more critical now because this is my observation. So especially with just, and I'm just thinking of the Medicare population right now and just drug costs and the cost sharing or co-pays that people are going, they may go to one pharmacy for this and then they may get their mail over here, mail from in the mail over here because they have to, the PBM makes them. Then they might go get, have another place to go get it. Down here in Arizona, people zip over to Mexico and get medication. So part of it is that medication list and the right one right spot staying current. It'd be nice if the patient could keep it. Right. And someone can help them keep that, keep it current, you know, to have that record. But right, and so that they could decide when to share it with their provider, if they want to share it all with their provider. So anyway, right now, I think it's even more critical because people don't have that list in one place anymore. It's all over the place. I, I have that. I have that same situation myself. I have three different pharmacies I use. Yeah, I know. And part of it, you don't have any choice. You have right, to it's do exactly it that right. way. Yeah, it's exactly right. Do you have a consolidated view of your medications? I don't have a consolidated view of my medications. So they're Other- there. That's perfect. Yeah. Exactly. So you see there's a problem. That's the problem we have to solve. Jeff's, Jeff's going to help me with that. Jeff's going to help you. <laughs> you said you had some questions for us today. Did you, get, did you get your questions in? What I'm really curious about, have you noticed that something that needs to be done differently since the COVID hit and people are using the software? And I'm thinking mainly of, you know, adding those other fields, you know, race, ethnicity, and all those. I don't know if those got into your system or if they're just yep. part of it. Okay, very good. So are the pharmacists using those? Are they populating those? Is that, is that working? Is that part working? Well, I mean, for the things like race and ethnicity, those are working well because the, the state, state federal are registries are requiring them right. and their allocation for vaccine was dependent on that being correct. Um, which was actually pretty smart. The, the CDC's requirements to have them in order to, to decrement the inventory smart play. Okay. Right. And I, I actually like that too. So knowing that, so do, do they have to, so you've got all the pharmacy folks working on this and they're probably happy doing it and it's in there once there's other things too, to get in there once. Do you think it would be very hard if we can get the right incentives in there for them to populate other little things in there? So I'm going to think these are, this is public health related. Yeah. Uh, and maybe people for children, their weight. Yeah, so so that's a, a very important one. And what um, most EHRs include the pay, the ch- the child's weight in the e script that comes over. Okay. And and we pull that out of the e script for children and put it in the pharmacy system automatically. Uh, we actually do that now for everyone. So oh, we, that's we pull, so good. We pull height, weight, and blood pressure and respiratory rate. Yeah. Okay. But a lot of time that's not populated from the EHR if it's not a child. Mm-hmm. Um, so as the new strip, new script standard comes over, it's m- almost always there now. Right. So Ooh. getting much, much better. So, so in a state where they weren't getting e scripts, maybe it was a paper prescription, which is getting to be less and less, then they would have to fill that information. Um, but for children, that drives our dosage analysis for whether or not right. overdose or underdose. So if you're under 18, it's very important that that data goes in in the pharmacy system. Right. Okay, that's already there. So there was other things, and I'll tell you what the question we were trying to, and I was, uh, Kurt, we were, I was always talking with him at NCPA on this, uh, trying to get data and I don't know if it's even in there or if pharmacies track it, but, um, track it. We were just having a hard time finding who's, or maybe there's other people that have data, like the fire departments might have the data who's homebound, like different, Mm -hmm. different, uh, characteristics. It's probably demographic that I can sit and pull at a flash 
okay, I have this many group here. I can target this way. I have this, you know, being able to break down the groups a little bit to so you can, they need to slice and dice their patient mm -hmm. population different ways. And I didn't know if those fields are automatically populated or if not populated, but um, available to populate. Yeah, so some are. One of the areas where pharmacy is weak right now is on social history. Um, mm -hmm. And especially, you know, now that social determinants of health are becoming more and more prevalent in, in CMS, some of them are there, some of them they're not. And it's probably an, it's an area where it's relatively easy to add. Um, so it's, and you only have to add it once. So yeah, and our, our system, we roll out updates every week. So for a large percentage of, of independence, you know, like during COVID, we rolled out states were continuing to come out with new fields. Um, we're the only independent pharmacy now integrated to submit uh, vaccine data to North Carolina. And they were, oh. and, and they were coming up with, you know, new things they wanted to add uh, things that they were trying to get. So they were trying to same slice and dice. What would be a good example of that? Um, whether it was uh, state or federal funded yeah, for how, allocation, uh, yeah, how the how that they wanted how that was funded, um, so there was some other interesting things that that we had to add in there. So I, I definitely think you know we have shown that through several programs that we've done that we can get sixty percent plus compliance with incentives to do certain things, enter certain pieces of data, things like that. So yeah, we'd be super interested in that kind so, of thing. So here's another example. So I'm working a lot of the public health because it's low hanging fruit. I should tell you how I got into this too, how I even got into this, this whole area that I got into, but so what about tracking smoking or tobacco use? Can, is that a field? Is that a field? Is it a field already? We, in yeah, there? we track smoking, smoking. Yes. So, yeah. um, we don't currently track drinking habits or recreational drug use. That would be part of the social history as well. Yeah. Right. So it, the, the question is whether they populate it or not. Right. Right. Is that correct? Yeah. So, so and, and they it's, have the field. It's more so rare. that's what I want to know. It would be really interesting. So here's some of the states, and I'm working with. We're working with them right now on a on a project. It's going to be nationwide. Is they allow the pharmacist to get reimbursed for counseling services, not just the product, the counseling for tobacco right. cessation. So it seems to me in those states, we should encourage them, and I could probably give you those states too. Let's start populating this so you can see what your start. If you just start making that a project for the next six months to just ask people when they come up or figure out a way to ask them to get that populated in there hmm. because it's, it, it's, they, they can work on this. It's something to work and, on, but and, they, if they don't have the baseline data, they won't know where they're at. And Pam, are there states that you feel would be interested in working with someone like us on a project yes. on that, on a state-by-state -state basis. We, we would Absolutely. we would have a strong degree of interest in doing that. Absolutely. And I can connect you up yeah. and get you to do that. And yeah, I can connect you up. And the areas, um, and it, you know, how I got involved in this, this is back when I was, when the Surgeon General, uh, Vivek Murthy, he's the current Surgeon General right now, but he was back when I was in my CPO role, he was there too the naloxone came out. And so I'm pushing, all right, you guys, pharmacy naloxone. And you heard all the statewide protocols get passed. And then I saw that I, we saw what the problem was going to be though. That's really great that the pharmacist can hand it out or prescribe it, but they're not, they're only getting paid for the product and not for the counseling. Right. So mm -hmm. I realized, okay, we got to that's when I started the light bulb turned on. We've got to all, anytime we do anything, we've always got to get the service side covered too. And so uh, that it's been a slow process. And then there's a few, there's states that have that now, but that's what I've been going through with all these state plan amendments. And I'm not driving this, the states are driving this, but I just let everybody know where everybody's at. And I chat with people on the side, you know, when I can and uh, try to kind of encourage this as much as we can. So now states, it's the movement is going really well now. Now we got to roll it out, implement more. That's what the problem is now. we got to implement. We have enough past. We have enough need to implement. Well, we are out of time and, and want to be sensitive Already? to your time. But uh, yeah, it's a we, fast uh, hour. We certainly want to continue to uh, get to know you better and work together more. Our mission is the same. Uh, we decided several yeah, years yeah. ago it wasn't enough to sell pharmacy systems. If we just sold pharmacy systems, that uh, all of us were going to be out of it. 
and uh, and really try to think about programs and doing things that are about the profession and and extending and saving independent pharmacy. So uh, when we find a kindred spirit, we want to embrace it. And uh, yeah, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. So I'm South Dakota. That's where we go into small towns. I love the small towns. I love rural areas. So that's those are all my passion and the people that live in those communities and the community pharmacies that are there. You know, the pharmacies are just amazing people. So I, I feel the same way. So well, this was a real honor. I can't tell you how excited everybody was just to spend a little time with you and uh, just want to say thank you for everything you do and have done and, and are going to do. So, and I feel excited being with you too. And so we should follow up then after this, I uh, let me do some emails and follow up and keep the, keep it moving. Thank you for what you do for the profession. Thank you. Have a good day. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Bye. 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 Thank you for watching the catalyst podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, subscribing, and or following us. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more amazing pharmacy people like you. Follow PioneerRx on your preferred social media platform for the latest up-to-date pharmacy news and content.